Well, good morning. Welcome to Awakening. Great to have you. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Uh, we're starting a brand new series this morning called First and Best. I'm really excited about it. I think it's one of those uh, r- critical uh, series for us as a community and culturally where we're at in the Silicon Valley. I think this is really, really important. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in this morning. Jesus, thank you for the moments to be together, to uh, gather, to sing, to enjoy uh, uh, your presence. I ask that you would show up and that you would speak, that uh, you would do the work necessary in us, that we would meet with you and be changed by you. May your word just come alive in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I, I want to start just kind of like with maybe um, a, a little bit of an internal survey, if you will. So kind of relax. You can kind of hold on to those notes, but you don't need to dive into them just yet. You can, you know, maybe even take a deep breath. If you want, you can close your eyes. Get real relaxed. I just want to I, I ask a couple questions around this whole idea of first and best. And so if you're in a good spot, some of you look probably too comfortable. Um, don't fall asleep on me. But, but here's, here's the first question I just want you to wrestle with. What currently is getting your first or the first and best of your time? Just, just internally, you don't need to write it down. You don't need to have someone else kind of peek over. And, and by the way, as we go through this, today is a no-nudge day. And, and what I mean by that, sorry, I, is that you can't, if you're especially married or close, you can't elbow, okay? <laughs> this is a no-nudge day. You, gotta, you are not allowed to elbow the person next to you. Okay. What currently is getting the first and best of your time? What, what currently is getting the first and best of your energy? Identify it. Take a second. What currently is getting the first and best of your, your thinking? The first and best of your finances? Chances are, as you answer that, uh, those four right there is it, almost one thing perhaps is taking up all four of those, or at least a majority of those. Let's ask the counterpart to that question. What do you wish... What do you wish you could give your first and best to? I mean, just take a deep breath. No one can read your thoughts, okay? What do you wish you could give your first and best energy to? What do you wish you could give your first and best time to? What do you wish you could give your first and best thinking to? Your first and best of your finances to? For most of us in this room, those two questions represent uh, a, a big spectrum, doesn't it? In fact, the first question and the second question, we would, we would say there's probably a delta between them, right? Where you're currently at and where you long to be at. That there's this gap, there's this delta of what, what is currently getting your first and your best energy, your best time, your best thinking, uh, what's currently getting at the core of it, right, what's your first and best you. 
And most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, if we're to answer that first question, my guess is, is it something very tangible that is getting the first and best of your time, energy, thinking, finances? That, that whether it's that work, whether it's that job, whether it's the house, whether it's keeping up with the chaos of kids going to every event on the planet, and some of you have kids in 16 sports, and you just, yeah, it's crazy. And then, then you switch over, right? You switch over to right here, the first and best. What do you wish? Most often, if the first is tangible, the second is, is intangible, right? But most often, your answer would be something around a relationship, around your family. It, it might be in this idea of you just feel under unbelievable pressure to perform, and, and, what, and you give your first and best energy to that, and you wish you wish you could simply enjoy life. Some of you, uh, your answer and, and the deep cry of your heart is, I wish, I wish I could give my first and best energy to really in experiencing and encountering God. But it just seems like time's fleeting. Um, this morning, I, I want to ask the question, how do you end up with more of what matters most in life? In this series, First and Best, that's, that's at the core of, of this idea of, of how do you actually span that delta of where you're currently at and where you long to be. And to do that, we've got to do a little diagnostic of where we're currently at and why we're there. I call it the Silicon Valley formula for getting what matters most. And there's this formula that if you look around that we, we just naturally get into, it's, it's the rhythm, it's the beat, it's the, it's the current of the culture around us that we get swept up into. And, and our good intentions are vastly often different than what we're actually doing, but we get caught up into the Silicon Valley formula. The Silicon Valley formula says this, that you need success at any cost. Whatever the cost is, and now success often we define in so many different ways. That's a slippery word, isn't it? I've heard some people define success this way. I think this is probably appropriate to our current culture, to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Like, really successful. And some of us are looking at, you know, that I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, so I'm going to work so hard and do all these sort of things to finally get to the place where I can do what I want, when I want. And so we work crazy hours. And then, as a result, we go into crazy debt so that we can own the house and we can own the car and so we can look the part and go out to eat and have these vacations. In fact, 90% of Americans buy things they cannot afford. The average American lives on 110% of their income. How do you do that? Every year, 10% more. 60% don't pay off credit card debts, and most Americans carry a car note their entire lives. We, we say success at any cost. And so we're going to leverage our time, our energy, our finances, our money, our lives to more. 
And as a result, what happens is busyness becomes our badge of honor. How you doing? Busy? You cannot here say, I'm doing great, fantastic. How are you doing? Well rested. <laughs> right? That, that just doesn't fly. I am refreshed, rejuvenated. How are you doing? Busy. Oh, yeah. Whew, that's the right answer. You answered it right. You got it right. Because busyness becomes our badge of honor as somehow we're doing it all right. And as a result, the goal is financial security. It's, it's how we culturally quantify hap- happiness, by the way, is how do we be financially secure? How do we be financially free? How do we be financially independent? And we ask questions like this, will I have enough? Maybe you've wrestled with that. Uh, you ask questions, will it continue to be enough? And ultimately the question is, well, how much is Enough. It's Silicon Valley formula, success at any cost, busyness is a badge of honor, and then financial security. And we just get caught up, don't we, in this race, in this pace. We're talking in our missional community, and I just was sharing that I feel like the pace of life sometimes outpaces my life and outpaces the sense of, oh, life. See, because here's what this produces. This formula produces, you know it, we've experienced it. It produces, quote, success, And you can, quote, have success at the expense of significance. Quote, success, be able to do what you want, when you want, and we've all seen that, and we see the person just ahead of us to go, well, when I get there, because here isn't enough, there needs to be more, quote, success, but at the cost of meaningful relationships, at the cost of having a meaningful contribution to the world around you because you're caught up in the rat race of more, more, more. What it produces is overworked and yet underfulfilled people. It's interesting. We live in the hub, by the way, of the world's wealth. This is the most expensive place to live. This has the highest paying jobs. And if we go back to our formula, hey man, first and best, how do I get those intangibles? What's interesting is as you sit across from people, and I get a chance to do this all the time, is what you hear is I'm overworked and yet I feel under-fulfilled. In fact, I hear this refrain, there's got to be more. Isn't there more to life than this? There's got to be more than just getting up and working. There's got to be more than simply accumulating. What it produces, success at any expense, at the expense of significance, overworked yet under-fulfilled, and then more money but less peace. Here's the interesting thing about more. Here's the problem with it. When you have more, you have more to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And so we get more thinking somehow that will finally satisfy, that will produce, will finally be set up, will finally have enough And yet that enough looks like, I don't know if that is enough. And so I got to get more. 
and the more that I have, I'm, I'm worried, I'm consumed by because huh, I don't know if it will last. And it might, I mean, who knows about the economy? Now, here's what's interesting. Go back to your, your first and best. What are you currently giving your first and best energy, time, your life to? And then, and then that gap, that delta, where, where do you long to give your first and best energy and time? And ultimately, the question is, how do I end up with more of what matters most? How do I end up with relationships that at the end of my life, I, I have these deep, meaningful relationships that, that at the end of my life, I look back and go, I, I made a meaningful contribution. I really enjoyed others and what God gave me. At, at the end of it, I, I got to experience and walk with God. How do you end up with more in life? And by the way, this is, this is important for parents this isn't just adults. We do this to our kids. You can go back through that formula. Success at any cost. I'm going to get them into that school. I'm going to have them play all these sports because they need to be upwardly mobile. They need to have this on their portfolio so that they can get into the right colleges, right? And so business is the badge of honors. If your kid isn't in three, four, five different things, ultimately so that they can have a better financial outlook than what you have. And I've heard it said that as a result, we're producing kids who are experience-rich but relationally poor. Okay. How do you end up with more of what matters most? I would like to suggest Jesus has a new formula to experience more of what matters most in life. But, it, but I, I just got to warn you, it is a paradigm shift for how we're currently living. It is a paradigm shift for the Silicon Valley formula. And, and it, for some, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow. But, but before we get into it, just this. How is it currently working for you now? Right? I had you evaluate purposely, intentionally, because we kind of think when I get, then it'll finally, but the then never comes. Take a look at what Jesus says in one of his famous sermons, actually his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He, he in, he's in the middle of, of preaching paradigm shift after paradigm shift after paradigm shift. He, he talks about a life that, 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 you know, that you don't just love people who love you back. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. That, that when, you, when you give, you actually do it in secret before your father so you can have honest motives. Not publicly like, I'm going to name a building after me. He has these massive paradigm shifts that it's happy, more blessed. More blessed are the meek, are the gentle, for they'll inherit the earth. Then he says this. He says, this powerful, one-sentence, life-altering phrase that will give you more of what matters most. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, the ultimate question we have to ask is what are we seeking after? 
What are we pursuing? What are we running after? In fact, when uh, Luke writes this down in his account, he says, it's literally set your heart. What is your heart set on? Jesus says, but seek first, circle the word kingdom, his kingdom. Literally, that's God's agenda, what he's up to. Make the priority of your life around God. You're like, no, 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 I can't do that. This is a Silicon Valley, we're upper and mobile, it's fast paced, it's all this sort of things. Yeah, but it's producing something that you don't like in you and a life you don't really want. But seek first his kingdom. That means God's agenda. Saying, God, okay, what are you up to here? What are you doing? How are you working? The, the prayer that Jesus would pray a little bit earlier in this is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, pursue, set your heart, make that the, the organizing principle of your life. His kingdom. And then his righteousness. If, if his kingdom is about God's agenda, his righteousness is about God's ways righteousness literally means and we've talked about this living life the way it was intended to be lived it is literally the right way to do life now for some that's incredibly offensive and i get that because you don't want anyone to tell you that there's a right way to do life but you can certainly testify to there's a wrong way to do life and you've experienced it and i've experienced it and he says, you want to get more of what matters most in life, you have to prioritize and organize and systematize your life around the kingdom of God and the ways of God. Like I said, this is radical. By the way, this is important. If you are a Jesus follower in this room, if you would identify as a Christian, this is not a suggestion. This isn't good advice that you can go, ah, maybe. This is the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is the call of every single one of us to lay down our pursuits and pursue after God. By the way, did you see the promise of God? And, and, all these things. In the context, and we're going to hit some things why Jesus says this, but the context is all about worry and anxiety and stress. Anybody have that? Just raise a hand. Anybody walked in with worry, anxiety, and stress? Thank you very much. Yes. Maybe we don't wear busyness as a badge of honor. Maybe we wear stress as a badge of honor. All the things we worry about, all the things we stress about, all the things that are keeping our anxious thoughts active, he says, and I'll provide for your needs. By the way, just if, so you know this, the promises of God are o- almost always preceded by the commands of God. Most people do not experience the promises of God because they are not obeying the commands of God. But seek first. What are you seeking first? What are you pursuing first? What is your heart set on? Jesus' new formula, not the Silicon Valley formula, but Jesus' new formula, and it's not all that new because it's 2,000 years old. 
Thank you very much. But for your life applied here, is that you would prioritize, organize, and systematize your life around God and his kingdom and his ways. Now let me tell you why he said this, because he knows some things, some things that are so true and some things that you already know, but we disregard as true. And he knows some things that are so true, but because we dismiss them, we experience the consequence of them. In fact, he's going to say, I, I think they're what I call four foundational truths that when you see it, you go, okay, it makes complete sense why we would reorder our lives this way. Take note, first, the first foundational truth that Jesus says of why he's saying this is the new formula is what, something that you know, that I know, that we've experienced, that, that you answered when I asked those two questions or two big questions right up front. The first truth is there is more to life than having more in life. When Jesus teaches this sermon and the gospel writer Luke recounts this or records this, he starts off this way. Uh, there's two brothers that are having an argument, and they're, they're really divided uh, over dividing the inheritance that they're supposed to get. And one brother's holding on to it, and the other goes to Jesus and says, hey, be a judge for us, okay? We, you, you tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And I, I know people, and you know people, and maybe you've experienced it, where money has gotten in the way of relationships, where someone dying actually created death in your sibling relationships, where all of a sudden, because the inheritance wasn't clear, because you disagreed with how it was divided up, now what was once family is now fighting and dividing. And so this is what's happening is these brothers are coming to Jesus and saying, hey, by the way, Jesus, you decide because I want to get mine. And Jesus doesn't even answer. I love this man. He doesn't even answer. He doesn't even judge. He, what he says is this. There's more to life than having more in life. And you know this. We know this. We forget it, though, all the time. And we live as if there's more. The only thing to life is a getting more. Watch what Jesus says. He says, watch out. Be on your guard. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, nobody thinks they're greedy, shrewd, savvy, frugal, not stingy. Greed is when you say it's all for me and for my needs. It's all about getting. It's all for me. I got to get. I got to get. Got to get mine. You know, if you get yours, it's great, but I got to get mine. Now, notice what he says. Here's why. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Your life does not exist because you get more. One commentator would say it this way. The quality of life is not proportionate to your possessions. And here's what we know. We see people who have a lot, but the quality of their life is 
poor, and we've seen people who have a little, but their quality of life is high. And it actually doesn't have to do with whether you have a lot or have a little. It has to do with your understanding that there is more to life than having more in life. And when you understand that and you realize my first pursuit, my primary pursuit can't be about more, but about attaining, about upward mobility, because at the end of life, that's not what life is about. He says the first foundational truth, there's more to life than having more to life. Well, how do you know that you're greedy? He's going to answer that question. You may not want to know the answer. Some of you might have to go to the bathroom right now. It's like, ah, you know what? Powerful urge came over me. We're going to chart through the rest uh, early part of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, just working straight through Jesus' sermon here. And what he says is where your money goes, your heart follows. And we know this. We see this. We see this in people. There's an invisible string between our heart and our stuff. We can understand that there's more to life than having more in life, but there is this connection between what we have and our heart. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're missing it. In fact, Jesus would say it this way, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't live life for the now, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, here's why, where your treasure is, there your heart is or will be also. See, in our culture today, one of the great seductresses of the soul is external, uh, external success at the expense of eternal significance. And we get caught up into pursuing more and somehow think, you know, it's one day, someday, it's later. He says, okay, there's more to life than having more in life. And what you need to recognize, what you need to understand is, is the gauge for knowing what's going on inside is not a feeling. It's a bank statement. The gauge to knowing whether you're actually living and embracing the truth that there's more to life than having more to life is looking at your finances and your stuff and seeing what it reveals about your heart. Have you done that? That's kind of... Okay, let me just speak to Jesus followers real quick. So if you're not a Jesus follower, you're like, okay, good, this isn't for me. If someone looked at your bank account, would they have any idea that you're a follower of Jesus? See, isn't it interesting that you can have money in the bank but no peace in your heart? And he would t- Jesus would tie it back, well, yeah, because where your money goes, your heart follows, and you're trusting in stuff instead of me. There's more to life than having more to life. Where your money goes, your heart follows. And by the way, this is a big deal. When you give generously, you're investing eternally. For those of us who believe that there is a heaven and it's real and it's eternal, why do we spend so much time accumulating, there's the word, stuff that, that you can't take with you? 
You can't take what you make, but you can leverage your finances in your life for all of eternity that you would experience present fulfillment and have a future investment. Man, that's the wisest thing to do. He goes on. He's not only going to talk about where your heart is, uh, it follows your money. He's going to say something that you may not have connected the dots, but you understand. How you view money is a keystone habit. Okay, how do I end up with more or what, more of what matters most? Well, you got to understand there's more to life than having more in life. Your heart is, is a magnet to your stuff, so you got to make sure you put your stuff in the right place because your heart's going to follow that. But how you view, how you see money, how you use money is a keystone habit. Uh, Charles Duhigg wrote a great book called The Power of Habit. It's really thick, so um, if you're a reader, great one. Chapter four is probably one of the best chapters to read. It's called keystone habits. Uh, And a keystone habit is one habit that impacts every other habit. And and they discovered that there's uh, one habit that is kind of like a domino effect that impacts so many other habits. One of those is exercising. Exercising is what they identified as a keystone habit. When you exercise, it it just allows you, you start eating better. You start making better choices. You actually spend money uh, better when you exercise. It, It is interesting. Uh, back to another keystone habit that they identified was family dinners. People who did family dinners together, their kids, uh, tested better. They had a higher self-esteem. They, had, I, they did all this research of where all the things that we hope for and all the scurrying about that we do to help our kids go. W- one of the keystone habits was family dinners. Another keystone habit was just simply... I can't even read my writing. You don't even... Oh, making your bed. There you go. <laughs> it set, you, set up the day. Isn't that interesting? Making the bed. It set up the day. People who made their bed felt better. They made, uh, worked harder, had a better sense of accomplishment. Jesus says, your view of money is a keystone habit. Notice what he says, Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So we, we see, and then our body follows what our eyes see. If your eyes are healthy, and underline that word healthy, it literally is the word elsewhere translated generous. If your eye is generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, and underline that word unhealthy, it, it, it's literally the word um, evil or greedy. It's an idiomatic phrase. It was the evil eye in the ancient world. It meant the envious or greedy that, that, you, um, that, that you just had. When you saw people, you saw them as something to use. When you saw stuff, you saw it for yourself. And you could never be happy for others because you always wanted what others had. You always compared. You were never content. It says, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... Noting, if you don't know that you're greedy, if you think that you're healthy but you're not, right? You remember when I was telling you the story of my glasses a while ago? I didn't know how bad my eyesight was until I got glasses and I went, wow. That's, that's what he's saying here. By the way, I looked in the mirror. I'm like, man, there's a lot more hair in my ear than I realized. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. 
says, how great is the darkness. Here's what we know. See, greed is all about what I can get. Generosity is all about what I can give. Greed is what can I get from me. Generosity is what can I give of me. Money is never about money, is it? It never stays just about money. It impacts every single area of our life. That's why it's a keystone habit. That's why Jesus is talking about it. That's why he talks about it a lot. Because if you get this one area of your life right, it's like a domino effect, and it begins to impact every area of your life. But if you don't get this one area of your life right, it's like a domino effect, and it impacts every other area of your life. Because we've all experienced it where money impacts your relationships, impacts your peace, impacts your future. How you view money is a keystone habit. These are the four, this is why Jesus says, okay, seek first his kingdom. Because these four things are true. There's more to life than having more to life. We know that. And yet we pursue life as if that's the only thing is attaining and getting. There's this invisible connection between our hearts and what we have. How we view money is ultimately, and how we use money is going to impact every area. And he's going to close with this. You end up serving what you seek. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's bringing it all now together. See, the chief competitor of your heart isn't Satan. The chief competitor of your heart is stuff. It's what you're putting your hope and your trust in. You end up serving what you seek after. Back to our question. What, what, what are you seeking after? What are the things in your life that you're running after, that you're pursuing? I, I know this morning may feel a little bit like surgery of the soul. But ultimately what Jesus is offering is a radical paradigm shift to do life so that you would end up with more of what matters most. That you end up having relationships that are deep and meaningful. That you end up being content and experiencing the blessing of God where you're actually able to enjoy. Not caught up in the rat race. And here's how he says, give God your first and best and he'll provide the rest. Give him. It is a choice that we make daily. And because our finances is a keystone habit, Jesus talks about that. Tithing, and we're gonna talk about that for a second, is a habit of the heart of, to put God first in our life. As long as you have a tight grip on your stuff, your stuff has a tight grip on you. And so, tithing systematically 
organized giving of what you have begins to align your heart around what God is doing. What it does is it begins to make awareness that all you have is God's. It brings an awareness that, that you have to actually trust Him to provide. And what it does is it releases the grip of greed. The antidote for greed is generosity. It's beginning to just give, to realize this is not mine. I'm a steward. It's God's. Now, before we dive into that for a few minutes, here's what I want to say. For those of you who do not know me and don't know awakening, I think this is so important for your soul. I don't, if it's a hindrance to you where you think, hey, some reason I'm saying this so that we can kind of somehow have a budget, that's not, that's not true. Give somewhere else. Especially if you're new. If you're new, you don't know us, you shouldn't trust us. Give somewhere else, but it is imperative for you to get the most and get more of what matters most in life that you begin to give and by the way, some of us believe the more we make, you know, finally, I'll, when I make more, I'll give more. This is tr- not true. The richest people often are the least generous people statistically. Because you go, oh, no, mine. I got to keep mine. I got to save mine. Paradigm shift. Give God your first and best. That begins with our finances. Tithing teaches us to put God first. First, Here's, I want to just give you three ways to tithe. First, prioritize. Give God the first of your finances, not the last. Give God at the very beginning of the month. And, and as an act of worship, God, this is yours. This was already yours. I'm going to give back to you. You prioritize it. You make it the central part. When you give a leftover, that does not take faith. You live on it, and then you go, oh, I have a little bit left over. Here you go. That's like a tip. Oh, I had a little left over. When you give right at the front, it takes faith, and it says, God, you're most important, and I'm going to live on what's left over. Then not only prioritize, but percentage. Choose a percentage. By the way, as a church, as a church, before we had anything, we decided up front we were going to give 10% of what came in outside of our doors. And I finance people, that's not smart. I said, well, yeah, but that's God's economy. I, I just have a fundamental belief I can't give out God. And we're never going to ask as a church, and I'm never going to ask as your pastor to do something that I'm not already doing or that we're not already doing. Last year we gave 15%, both local and globally impacting, giving over $90,000, just three years, years old as a church. Man, it is so fun to tell our story. It is so fun to to look at lives impact. It's so fun to have our hearts being knit around human trafficking and being able to say, we're going to get after this and know that, hey, we're going to get after it because we're putting our money where our mouth is. Isn't that a great, I mean, don't you want to tell that type of story with your life? For some, you just need to choose a percentage, and 10% is too much, and you've been leveraging and living in debt, and you're just like, oh, man, this is, this is oh, I can't do that. Okay, 1%. Just start there. 2%, start there. 
Prioritize, make it first, and then choose a percentage. And for some, by the way, 10% is not actually anything to you. You're just like, you need to then do what the next one is, progressive. Generosity is, in, in um, God's economy, is not just like, okay, I give my 10% here. and it, God blesses us. I heard this, and I thought this was so good. God blesses us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And for some of us, we, we got to go, okay, God keeps blessing us. And so there's a standard upon which I'm going to say, this is what I'm going to live between. Yeah, I could keep up with the Joneses, but I, it means I, I don't know that I need four cars. I don't know that I need a bigger house. I don't know that we need this. I'm going to say this is the standard of living. And then whatever God gives over and above that, I'm going to keep giving it out. God is, by the way, one of the shrewdest investors on the planet. And if you're faithful with what he gives you, he's going to give you more so that you can give it away, give it away, and steward his resources to accomplish his kingdom here on earth. Okay. How do you end up with more of what matters most? Give God your first and best. It's a radical paradigm shift from the formula that we're living in here in the Silicon Valley. But chances are the pace of life's outpacing your life. Chances are there's a big delta between where you're currently giving your first and best and where you long to give your first and best. Some of you are like, I don't have the time. I just... If you give God the first of your time, you begin to get into his word and you just go, okay, just start. You're like, I don't know where to start. That's great. Just start in a gospel. Start in Matthew. Start in John. Start in one of the stories about Jesus and just read one of the stories and just go, God, what do you want me to do with this? It's amazing. You're like, I don't know what to do in this problem. He's going to give you wisdom and insight. Somehow, when you give God the first and best of your time, he multiplies your time. What if you just start trusting that God's word is true and his promises are true? It'd be amazing. See, the problem is not that Christianity has been found wanting. It's just that you haven't been tried. You haven't trusted. All right, let me close with this story. Eight years ago, we moved from Georgia to California. California. It was, a, um, it was a big move. It was a difficult move. Uh, anybody who's been hurt or burned by the church, get that, experience that. I, I was away with a group of high school students in Mexico, and um, was, we're trying to sell our, our car so that we only were going to move one car across the country back to California. And so one of the incredible couples, uh, families that were part of our high school ministry, um, they, Dell, while I was away, he's like, I'll, I'll put it up. I'll try to sell it for you. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. We're asking, you know, for my Honda Passport 1999, the coolest car on the planet, uh, $5,000 for it. I thought, all right, I'm gonna, I, we need that money because I, I didn't realize a little bit later I, that the place that I was working at was going to not pay me for two months. And so we had no money. And while we're away, the Spirit of God prompted my heart and my wife's heart, and that's how you make big decisions, by the way. We, never me, in a marriage. 
And I just felt like Dale, who was trying to sell my car over and above his time, he had four high school kids. And one of their cars just broke down. And he's trying his best to help sell my car. And God just put it on our hearts that we should give that car to Dale and his family. I said, okay. So we give Dale that car. Honda Passport, 1999, amazing, silver, beautiful, mm, great, great car. And yet, we had no money, and we're trying to move across the country, and, and we're like, oh my goodness, yeah, no, God, I'm so glad we're able to give. That feels so good, and they need it. They're four kids. They're the most amazing giving family. They live on little means, and I'm so glad that we're able to do that, but God, I can't provide for my family. Here's something that's interesting. It doesn't have to look like it's all working out for it to be working out in God's economy. Get a knock on the door. And a courier. I've never had a courier show up to my door. And it's the first and last time. Courier shows up to my door and I get an envelope. I have to sign for it. And thank you very much. And a guy that I met once heard that we're moving. Wrote me a little note. Said, hey, Ryan, I heard that you're moving. Thought you might need a little moving around money. And a check for $5,000. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he says, I I can take care of the rest. A year ago, Dale died. He contracted cancer about four years after we moved. One of the most humble, God-honoring families that I know. I went out to be with him and his family and as I went out to be with him as a family, I, uh, I saw my car, my 1999 silver Honda Passport, and one of their kids was driving it. I didn't know in that moment that he only had about seven years left to live to be with his family And I got the joy of, in one small way, of providing one less concern in his life so he got to be more present with his kids and families. And by the way, you have no idea what God wants to do, not just in you, but through you. When you stop holding on to your stuff like this, and you go, God, it's all yours It's always been yours. Use me and what you've given me for your will. I dare you. I double dog dare you. I triple dog dare (laughs) you. Would you put God first? And start with your finances. And see, test and see if he's not faithful. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for our time. Thanks for your grace. I don't know where this lands with everyone in here, but I pray 
that you would unleash extravagant generosity through this church here as we live out your kingdom ways. That we'd be able to tell of your story and your faithfulness and see your work expand here in Silicon Valley and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.